Okay. Good morning, everyone. I'm Joyce, a member of Al-Anon. I'm not going to say grateful right now because I'll be grateful in about an hour once this gets over. First of all, I want to say thank you to the AA committee and to the Al-Anon committee and Monica in particular for inviting me to come here this morning and share my experience, strength, and hope. And I'll have to warn you that when I get nervous, I talk fast. So you might have to listen fast. I'll try real hard not to do that today. And I turn this meeting over to the God of my understanding. I spent a lot of time with him this morning. And if you have any complaints, take it up with him. <laughs> I'm the messenger. I just brought the body, and I'm hoping and praying that he will give me the message that he wants me to hear. I don't know about anyone else, but I know sometimes I have to re- be reminded where I came from. And that's what I want to do a little bit this morning is remind me where I came from, what happened, and what it's like today. My story is a little different than a lot of people that I've met in Al-Anon, but we don't have to be exactly alike to uh, get this program and apply it to our lives. And I'm so grateful for that because when I first came in, I didn't understand that. And as um, I share my story, uh, you'll find out that I made a few mistakes along the way trying to work this program. Uh, I was born into this family. My dad had 15 brothers and sisters, and my mom had nine brothers and sisters. And they were Irish and Indian and German mixture. And I don't know if you all know about any of those kind of people, but they um, have hearty appetites for drinking. Uh, They have tempers. And some of them are even a little bit stubborn at times. And um, I was blessed with all those character assets or defects, however you want to look at them. Uh, I I didn't know anything about alcoholism growing up, but I'll tell you what I saw as a child and some of the experiences that I've had in my life. There aren't any alcoholics in my family, my mom's side or my dad's side that they've admitted to anyway. I think we have a lot, and I've been saving a lot of seats, uh, both in the Al-Anon room and in the AA room, for uh, a lot of people to come in. And I'm sure in God's time, if he sees fit, they will make it to either of the programs, which I'll feel very grateful for because both programs work as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, these are some of the things that I remember growing up. The family would get together for a holiday and uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, And I can remember Thanksgiving turkeys being turned over, the home table being turned over, Thanksgiving dinners being turned over, kids screaming and yelling, Christmas trees turned over, uh, fights out on the lawn, brothers and sisters sending each other to the hospital. These are my aunts and uncles. We were too little to know anything about what was going on. And I just thought, you know, that's how people drank. I was scared to death as a child. I was very shy. I was an introvert. Um, in school, I would never raise my hand, and if the teacher ever called on me, I thought I was going to pass out and die right there on the floor. And I wasn't dumb. I knew the answers to the questions, but I was just scared to death of everything and everyone. But growing up in a household like I grew up in, there was a reason for it. Of course, no one knew. I would never share what was going on at home or how I felt. I didn't know how I felt. Um, I became a person who blended in with anyone that I was with at the time. I was like that chameleon that they talk about. If you were yellow, I turned yellow. If you were green, I turned green. You know, and that was okay. I just fit in. Oh, growing up like that wasn't a healthy way, but I guess, you know, God had a plan 
at the uh, early age of 13, I joined this church. And I thought once I joined that church that my life was going to change. I didn't know what was wrong with it, but I just knew something needed to be changed. And I thought that um, everything was going to be lily pure white from that day forth. And I really, in my heart, believed that. I mean, I had turned my life over to this God that I was taught about, and I really thought my life was going to be good. But shortly thereafter, at the ripe old age of 14, I met this person, and he was my girlfriend's brother's friend, and he came to their house, and I was always there, and he played uh, guitar. He was a very talented musician. He could just about play any instrument. He was very outgoing. He was cocky. And at first I thought, what is wrong with that person? But there was something there that was exciting as far as I was concerned. And I, I didn't consciously think this, but um, he was, I was 14 and he was uh, 19, almost 20, I guess. And I was sharing with my husband this week, you know, if one of my children came up to me, especially if I had a daughter, and she said she was going to date this guy that was 19 or 20 and she was 14, I'd lock her in a room and she'd never come out again. <laughs> that just blows my mind today when I think about it. 20 and 25 doesn't sound that bad, but 14 and 20 sounds horrible to me. Anyway, my mom told me that... Um, I couldn't date this guy. And being the shy, little, perfect, goody, goody girl that I was, I didn't outwardly disobey her, but inside this little thing said, you want to bet? And uh, we dated. Now, I, I have to go back a little bit. I have uh, three sisters. And two of my sisters were married when they were 15 years old and had children. And, and I'm the second child. So when I was 14, I'm dating, you know, this guy, and um, we dated for four years. And in my family, they thought that I was the old maid because here I was 18 and I wasn't married yet. And I thought I was the old maid, too, you know, 15. That's a little young, too, for marriage as far as I'm concerned. But I, had, I did have a couple goals in life. And one goal, which doesn't seem, you know, like a very big goal anymore, was that I was going to finish high school before I did anything else. And... Uh, Thank God I was able to do that. But anyway, this fellow and I, we dated for four years. And during that four years, he drank and he played music. And I hung out in the bars at the age of 16. I'd go wherever he played music, and I'd be there right there with him. And, I, you know, today, that just blows my mind, too. What a wasted life I was having. I didn't know how to be a 16-year-old. Here I was being a 21-year-old. Not that I drank or anything in those places, but I was always there. And you see things, in my mind, you see things that you probably shouldn't see when you're 16 years old, when you're in a place for adults. But that was part of my sickness. Uh, as you can tell, um, since I made this decision to date this person, that lily pure white life that I thought I was going to lead had to be put aside because as far as my relationship with him and the lily pure white, the two didn't go together. So the guy that I thought I had found was kind of shoved to the side, and I proceeded to um, follow this goal, I guess, to date this person that I wasn't supposed to be dating in the first place. Anyway, at the ripe old age of 18, we got married. And I believe that in the back of my mind, there was something that told me that, sure, he drinks, and we argue about his drinking, 
But once he says, I do, we will make this marriage work. He will change. He will become that knight in shiny armor that I had dreamed about all my life, and he was going to take me away, and I would have that wonderful life. Because all my life I dreamed of growing up and having this little white house with the white picket fence, and I'd have the little white frilly apron on, and I'd be baking chocolate chip cookies for my seven little kids that were running in and out the door. And that was what I thought was going to happen. You know, once he said, I do, that's, we were going to get started, and we were going to go do that and uh, make life wonderful. Well, he did change, and lo and behold, I changed too. I got so sick. I, I never knew that. Uh, like I said, I still didn't know about alcoholism. I knew that my sister that's next younger than me was married to an alcoholic because he drank a lot and he'd slap her around every now and then. He'd spend all the money and, you know, she's always borrowing money. And I told her long before I knew that I was married to an alcoholic that her husband was an alcoholic. And uh, she told me that mine was an alcoholic. I couldn't believe it. After all, I didn't get beat up. And, you know, those things didn't happen to me. But I guess I got sick in other ways. It didn't take physical abuse to get me good and sick. But anyway, we started on this life and that I thought was really going to change and be wonderful. And it didn't change for the better. Our first year of marriage went kind of like this. He was in pipe fitting school, so he went to school three nights a week. I worked every day. He played in a band, and he played music in a bar three nights a week. That's six nights. And on that seventh night, he went with his band members, and they practiced. So for the first year of our marriage, I was alone a lot, unless I went to the bars where he played music. So a lot of times I did that. A lot of times I'd stay home and um, hide out and escape from the world, just be alone in my misery. And got sicker and sicker. Our lives just got worse and worse. He drank more, and we fought more about, not physically fought, but verbally, about um, his drinking. We couldn't pay the bills. There were two of us working. We made good salaries, and we couldn't pay the bills. And shortly after we were married, you know, I'm ready to start this family of seven kids. You know, we got to get started. That's a lot of work to do there and having fun. And he looked at me and he said, what, are you out of your mind? We're not having any children. And I just couldn't believe that he was tearing my world apart like this, that um, he could say, no, we're not having any children when I went at seven. Thank God that I'm not in charge and God is, because when I think about seven kids right now, I don't know. Um, Anyway, uh, his disease progressed and I got sicker. And I kind of turned into this person who uh, cussed like a sailor. I, I never thought I'd be a person like that. I can remember my mom visiting one day. And she didn't come very often, but that day she came and my uh, husband and I had a fight. And all these words started coming out of my mouth. And when it was all over and she was ready to go home, she said, I don't know what's wrong with you. I said, what do you mean? She said, I never heard you say a word like that in your whole life, and now that's all you do is use these words that you shouldn't be using. And I thought, well, you know, i, I got to do something. i got to straighten him up some way, and that's all I knew to do was fight back, kind of. I became Mrs. Fix-It, and my biggest job was to fix him. I wanted him to be that wonderful knight in shiny armor. The more I tried to fix, the less he wanted to be fixed. He didn't think he was broken. 
But, you know, it took all my energy to try to fix him. And we got sicker and sicker. And I tried a lot of things. I don't have to share all those gory details about the things I did in my sickness, going to bars and trying to drag him out and hiding the car and stuff like that. If, if you haven't done them, you probably didn't think of them because I would have tried a lot more if I had thought of them. And sometimes when I go to meetings and they sh- some of the ladies share, and I think, man, I wish I had known that. I would have tried that one. <laughs> that sounded like a good idea. But I just didn't think of that one. But anything that I thought that would straighten him up, I was going to do, and I was going to make him what I wanted him or I thought he should be. And, you know, today I, I don't know... Um, God didn't send me a message that he was going on vacation and I was in charge, but evidently in my sick head, I thought I was. I couldn't even take care of me, but I thought I could fix someone else. That marriage just kept getting worse and worse, and after four years, God did bless us with this beautiful baby boy, and I thought, this is the answer. This is going to be the solution. Even though he didn't want to have children, God has blessed us with this boy, and and this is going to change our lives, especially his. And um, here again, it did change. He he didn't drink for about two weeks. And what a blessing. That just seemed like the world was going to be wonderful from here on out. And like I said, it only lasted about two weeks. And um, as the alcoholics know, you know, if you're an alcoholic and your body's telling you to get that drink, you have to get that drink. And that's exactly what happened. Well, at this point in my life, I turned into an overprotective mother. I couldn't fix the alcoholic that I was married to, and by this time I realized that his drinking was um, a problem and it was alcoholism. But I still didn't know that I couldn't do anything about it. But um, I turned into this overprotective mother. This little boy wasn't allowed to go out and get dirty unless I was behind him with a washcloth. I must have changed his clothes 15 times a day because I think in the back of my mind, I thought people would judge me by the way this little boy looked, and he had to be perfect. So I set out to make him perfect and not ever be hurt and, you know, kind of put him in a protective bubble. Well, um, I know today that being an overprotective mother is probably as bad as being an abusive mother because that child fought for his right to be him, and he fought hard and strong, and um, we... we, um, had a lot of hard times because of that. And I used to beat myself up for that, but today I know God has forgiven me. I was doing the best I could with what I had at that time, and I didn't know any better, and that's okay today. I've forgiven myself for that. But the thing that um, was the last straw for me, I had been to um, Alcoholics Anonymous down on 25th Street in downtown Baltimore after a lot of years of trying to change this alcoholic. Someone said, you know, AA is the way for him to change. Why don't you find out about it? So I went down there, and from what I remember, you had to go up this real steep step uh, set of stairs to get to the AA room, and Tom F., I think, was there at that time. I, I, I'm not sure. But whoever it was, I know they must have told me about Al-Anon, but I didn't hear it. And they told me that, you know, there wasn't anything I could do about his drinking. I'm sure about that. And um, I just sat there, and I cried and cried and cried and went home very discouraged and um, just felt like, you know, there was no hope. There wasn't anything that I could do, and life was miserable, and this is what, the way I was going to have to live the rest of my life. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would leave. I had thought about it every once in a while like a fleeting thought that maybe, you know, I need to get out of this. 
And so I'd run away to West Virginia. And West Virginia was his hometown. So I'd run away to his family. Doesn't that make sense? And spend a few days thinking that that was going to straighten him out. And I'd come home and things were just as bad, if not worse. But I never really thought, gave a lot of thought to the idea that um, I would leave and there would be a divorce because that was the other thing that I promised myself. I was not going to marry an alcoholic. And once I got married, if there were children in the family, I would never, ever, ever divorce because my parents were divorced when I was pretty young. And I didn't want to have that um, if I had children in my life. So um, I took this part-time job. His drinking got so bad that he couldn't really keep jobs. Alcoholics perform miracles, though. He, he would get fired from a job one week, and next week they'd hire him back. And I think, what? <laughs> you know, I don't understand this. But he never kept jobs very long. So in order to just have groceries on the table, I took a part-time job working in a grocery store. And our son was almost five years old, or maybe he was five at that time. And I took the night shift because the stores were open to midnight. And this is how sick I was. My idea of taking the night shift was that I wouldn't have to pay a babysitter because he would be home. He worked day work when he worked. And he would do the babysitting. And that, for an overprotective mother to do something like that is very insane on my part. And I would leave to go to work in the evening, and I'd have to rip my little boy's arms off my legs. Mommy, Mommy, please don't go. Please don't leave. Please don't go. And he'd just cry and cry. And the reason for that was if my ex-husband wasn't already drunk, he'd be drunk and passed out before the night was over, and this five-year-old would be watching him. And, you know, but in my insane sick thinking, I thought, I don't have a choice. This is what I have to do. And I'd I'd go to work. And one night I got a call from a neighbor. And she said, and this was the last straw, she said, Joyce, Randy's at the door in hysterics. What should I do with him? This is a five-year-old. I said, well, can you take care of him until I get home? I can't leave until midnight. She said, sure. So when I got off, I went to check on my son. And he was sound asleep, and he was okay. And I went next door. We lived in a townhouse. And everything in that house was turned upside down. Television, sofa, everything. And my ex-husband was passed out. And later I was to find out that my little boy had called him an alcoholic. And when he did that, he just couldn't handle it coming from his son. And, you know, I, I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know, well, it's a wonder it wasn't preceded by a few choice words that I used to always precede alcoholic with, like SOB and a couple other things, you know, <laughs> similar to that. And um, like I said, he couldn't handle hearing that from his son. And that night, I went upstairs and packed a suitcase with my son's clothes in it and walked out. And I didn't know that that was going to be the point of a real change in my life. I didn't know that um, that was going to be the point that uh, was going to lead me to a program of recovery. You know, I thought that God had just wiped me off like I had wiped him off, and um, he didn't have time for me. When I was pregnant with this little boy, I used to go to church and pray. You might call it praying. It's more like, let's make a deal. God, if you'll just get him sober and make our lives wonderful, I'll do anything You know, we're bringing this child into the world. I'll do anything. I'll be perfect. I'll be good. I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. And when he didn't answer those prayers, I kind of put him up on the shelf and really worked hard at uh, making this marriage a success because I knew once that child was born, 
I, in my mind, you need two parents to raise a child. And um, I wanted that to happen. And when God didn't get him sober during that time, he was put on the shelf. And I really thought that my God had turned his back on me because he didn't answer that prayer. Just get him sober. Just get him sober. That's all I want. Our lives will be good. So uh, he had been put on the shelf, and I thought it was this little spot that he didn't have time for that little spot down here. And I know today he didn't do the moving at all. It was me that did the moving. And it took um, me coming down on to find that out. In this part-time job that I took, I left that night, and I had been working at this grocery store for a little while, and I called this person my guardian angel. She was working there with me. And she had this great big husband, and he used to come in every now and then, and she said, we're getting ready to go off to a convention up to Hagerstown or wherever, Delmarva at that time, I guess. And uh, she'd go away for the weekend, and she'd come back, and she'd look all beat up, you know, circles around her eyes. And I thought, man, I don't know what they do on those weekends, but they do it hard. She said, my husband's sober in AA for eight years. And I thought, what does that mean? She said, it means he hasn't had a drink for eight years. And I went, oh, my God, I never heard of anybody doing that. And she told me about Al-Anon. She's been going down on during that time. But I didn't know what they did on those weekends. And um, she invited me to an Al-Anon meeting. She said, Joyce, um, I know that there's alcoholism in your life. You haven't told me, but I recognize the symptoms, and there is a place for you, and it's called Al-Anon. And her and her husband took me to this meeting, and I thought this was an underground society or something because I had never been to Revere Beach before, and we went down, way down in the country, and that's how it seemed anyway to me today. It doesn't seem like that. And we got to this church, and you went down these steps down, and when you opened the door, you were in the furnace room. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what kind of an organization is this? Well, you opened the door, and there was the AA room and the Al-Anon room. And I tell you, that was such a blessing in my life. The lady that chaired the meeting, and I'll never forget, it was Rusty E., and she chaired the meeting that night on uh, one day at a time. And believe me, I needed to hear about one day at a time. Here, I had made the decision. I had left the person that I was married to. I was living with a friend. She was a divorcee, had two children, and we were like the odd couple. She was a nurse, and she wasn't very domesticated. She loved to go out to eat and take the kids out and never clean house. And I was just the opposite. I wanted to be home, and I wanted to bake the cookies. You know, I'm still in that baking cookie uh, frame of mind. And I wanted to be home. But anyway, um, uh, my son was five years old, and my biggest concern was I have this part-time job at the grocery store, and how am I ever going to save money to get this kid through college? I just don't know how I'm going to get him through college. And I was obsessed with the fact that I was never going to make enough money to save for him to go to, to a good college or even a, a local college. It didn't matter, community college. I just wasn't going to have that money. When I went into that room and Rusty chaired on one day at a time, it was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders that night because I started thinking, I really don't have a place to live that's my own. I don't have a car. My girlfriend and I shared her car. Thank God we worked different uh, shifts so that we could do that. And I'm concerned about getting this kid through college. I better move that down a little bit on the list. And so um, that was the beginning of a recovery for me. 
and I start going to Al-Anon meetings. And even at this point in my life, I really didn't think that um, my marriage was going to end in divorce. I can remember one day taking uh, my little boy to kindergarten. I had to be busy all the time, so I was kindergarten mother, and I would be at school or I'd be at work. And um, one day I picked him up from school, and he looked up with, up with those big, sad blue eyes, and he said, Mommy, I know why we left Daddy. And I said, you do? Because I had only been to a couple of Al-Anon meetings by this time. And he said, yeah, it's because I ran out that night and cried and, and ran next door to the neighbors. You know, this had been a couple of weeks after I had left, and, and I didn't know that that little child was carrying such a heavy burden. And tears came in my eyes, and I get cold chills when I think about it, that he was carrying such a heavy load. But I had been to a few Al-Anon meetings, and I knew that I had to tell him the truth. And I looked at him and I said, your father is sick. He has alcoholism. You know, explain this to a five-year-old, but I needed to do it, not only for him, but for me. He is an alcoholic. And if he ever finds recovery, and that means going to AA and never drinking again, then maybe we can be a family. But if he can't, I know that God will take care of us. And I don't know if I was trying to convince him or convince me, but whatever it was, I could see the relief in his face, and I thank God for that. I thank God that Al-Anon started working that quick in my life. Because of my own, I could not have told him anything, except he's a rotten you-know-what, and he's never going to get any better. But um, God had blessed me with a few meetings, like I said, and I was able to share that with him at that time. I went to Al-Anon for a while, and I thought, you know, it was really great. Those people there ran those tables, smiled, and they were happy, and I thought I wanted what they had. They looked so good and sounded so wonderful when they shared their words of wisdom, and I had none. I mean, I'd be in the grocery store. I was so excited about Al-Anon, even though I didn't think I was getting it. I'd be in the grocery store in the checkout line. If you were behind me, watch out, because I'd be trying to convince you that you need to go to Al-Anon. I was sharing my sick self with these people that I didn't know. But here again, I believe God is in charge of my life, and I was doing what I needed to do, even though it was a sick message, and I thought the whole world needed Al-Anon, that they should come and, and get recovery here. Um, I, I guess I needed to hear it more than anyone else. But I kept going to Al-Anon meetings, and I went to a lot of meetings in the beginning. And something happened. Something inside of me said, there's a magic potion, or there's a magic trick, or there, there's something that they're not giving me. I'm not getting it. I don't feel as happy as they look. And you know what? When I compare my insides with your outside, I'm always going to come out on the short end of the stick. Thank God I've learned that today. Um, and I try not to compare my insides. I just try to work on them through the Al-Anon program. But um, now I've lost my train of thought, which is an unusual. <laughs> um, I went to those meetings, and, and like I said, I started um, feeling like I didn't belong. I wasn't getting what they had. And so I started looking for the, um, not the uh, like, likeness with the people there, but comparing myself out. Well, everyone here has an alcoholic, either in AA or one who's still drinking that they're living with, or one that has died, and no one here has really left the alcoholic. And I thought, that's it. That's the secret. I left, and I'm going to be punished for the rest of my life. I'm not going to get this program. Well, no one here has done this, and no one here has done that. And, you know, if you don't want to be in these rooms, there are lots of reasons. You can find lots of excuses not to be here, and I found that out. So for me, it's like um, missing church. 
If I miss church one week, that's no big deal. Two weeks, it gets easier. Three weeks, oh, boy, this is nice. Four weeks, I'm gone. You know, you don't see me again for a long, long time. And that's how I was with Al-Anon. And so I kind of closed the door and I quit going. And for anyone who might be new, they told me that they will, will refund your misery tenfold if you don't want what we have. And believe me, for me, it was more than tenfold. It seemed like a hundred and tenfold. I got so sick, and I didn't have an alcoholic to blame. I couldn't point the finger at anyone because those three were pointing back at me. I didn't know, know that before, but I did hear that in those rooms. So these three fingers were still pointing at me. It was just me and my little five-year-old, and he wasn't doing much to make my life miserable. And I got good and miserable. Things just went downhill really quick. And I'm grateful that it happened that way. The first time I came to Al-Anon was in uh, September of 1973. I can't tell you when I came back. It was long enough to get good and sick, and it wasn't too long. Uh, it, um, it seemed like an eternity. But I came crawling back into these rooms with a desperation. And I tried a lot of things when I was out there to fit in and to uh, get well and to be a good person. And those things all work for other people. I tried Parents Without Partners. I tried going to uh, Bible study and going back to church. And I didn't fit in in any of these places. And I thank God that he's a loving God and he had people in both programs during that period of time that kept in touch with me. And uh, finally, one of them, well, a couple of them said, why don't you get your butt back where it belongs? And you know where that is. It's in Al-Anon. And I thought, well, what do they know? And then something happened that... Um, caused me to come back down on. And the person that I never asked to be my sponsor, but uh, she was my sponsor. She called me and she left at speaking down in Severna Park on Tuesday, and I suggested that you go there. And I thought, wow, the first time she took me to a meeting, she made sure I got to meet. <laughs> and God, I believe in his infinite wisdom, was working again in my life when I, I didn't know it. Because I did get to that meeting, and I've been going down on ever since. And like I said, I can't tell you when I came back, but it was just right on time. Because when I came back to the rooms, I wanted what those people had, and I was willing to go to any length. I was still hard-headed and stubborn in a lot of areas, and it took me a little bit of time to work some things in, like getting a sponsor. In order to get a sponsor, I needed to ask someone to be my sponsor. I just can't assume that she knows she's my sponsor because... I show up on her doorstep sometimes, and I share my insides with her all the time, and I don't do that with everyone. Um, I would go to meetings, and they'd say, no, you have to ask someone to be your sponsor. And I come to the realization that there was this little thing that was eating me alive, and it was called pride. I didn't want to ask her because pride was holding me back. I didn't want her to know that I didn't understand what these they say simple 12 steps mean. I didn't know how to work the 12 steps, and they said work, and that sounded hard to me. And I didn't want her to know that I didn't understand. So finally, I did ask her to be my sponsor, and I came to the conclusion that if she told me to stand on my head in the middle of the room that I would recover from this disease called alcoholism, then I would do it. I'd be willing to do that. And like I said, I was still slow in a couple areas to do some things, but eventually I did get around to doing them. And when I came back the second time, the first time I worked, the first half of the first step. And then I went to the twelfth step, carried the message to others. The fourth and fifth step I was never going to work because they applied to the alcoholic. I mean, us Alanons, 
we never did anything so bad that we'd have to share it with God, another person, you know, and write it down. Come on, forget that. But when I came back the second time, these ladies in Al-Anon, they were working those steps, and several of them had gotten together. And, see, they weren't talking about this, or else I didn't hear it when I came the first time. They had been working those steps. They had done the inventory steps, and I just couldn't believe that they thought that they had to do that. But they talked about working the fourth and the fifth and going on and working all 12 steps in the order that they were written. And I thought, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. I have a hard time stretching my little short legs from step one to 12 when I'm going up a flight of steps. I can't do that. So that makes sense to me. And I started working the steps in the order they were written. God, again, in his infinite wisdom, has um, really um, worked in my life when I uh, didn't know he was working. I kept going to Al-Anon, and there was something missing. And I'd say to my sponsor, I just don't know, but there is something missing in my life. And uh, she said, well, Joyce, when you were young, what, what was important in your life? And I said, uh, I joined a church when I was 13, and I thought everything was going to be wonderful. And for some reason, I lost that um, God that I thought I understood at that time. And she said, well, maybe you need to reach out in areas that we don't always discuss in the rooms. And I thought, well, maybe she's right. And, um, and for a number of years, I wouldn't share this at a meeting, that I started searching and seeking the guide of my understanding in other areas. He puts a lot of things in our lives to help us grow and to get well and to recover from the disease of alcoholism. And I don't know why I thought Bible study and prayer meetings and joining a church was not one of those things, but I guess I did think that for the longest time. But I started going to um, Bible study and prayer meetings, and uh, Al-Anon opened the door for me to be able to uh, search and seek in other areas. But that's where I met the God of my understanding and knew, come to know that he loved me. I was one of his children, and I had heard in the rooms that God didn't make junk, but I thought I was just a piece of dirt, that God didn't have time for me that evidently, even though I tried to be such a good person, I had done something so bad that I was going to be punished for the rest of my life. So that's where I learned about uh, God's love for me. But I also learned that God didn't want me to go off and not be grateful for the door that opened the way to this relationship with him, and that was the program of Al-Anon. And uh, there were other people in our area at that time who were searching and seeking and they gave up their programs to meet the God of their understanding in another way. And um, I'm not sure they're around either program today. And I feel so blessed that he, I got the message that I need both hands full, one with Al-Anon and one with another area of a relationship with the God of my understanding. And I, I just feel so blessed about that. My life is so different today. Um, I, like I said, I started working those steps, and I got to that fourth one. And I did the one, two, three step waltz for a little while because um, I just had a hard time with the fourth and fifth. And my sponsor said, Joyce, you got, you've got to continue to work these steps. By this time, I had uh, been coming down on for a while. And uh, when you're single, everybody has someone that they want you to meet. And it can be very difficult at times. But my sponsor uh, was married to this uh, I thought he was God in AA, and he sponsored a lot of people, and they said, 
we have someone we want you to meet. And I thought, oh, no, not another one. <laughs> you know, but when it's your sponsor, what do you say? I'm not going to do that? I don't think so. So um, they had me over, and uh, they had... See, I stayed away from the AA rooms. I would sneak into the al room and try to just slide in so no one ever saw me because I was afraid of alcoholics. If, you, if those alcoholics were like the one that I was married to, I didn't want a relationship with them. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to be in their presence. I wanted to go to Al-Anon, and I wanted to get the medicine that I needed to take care of Joyce. So I was not looking for an alcoholic, believe me, or anyone in those AA rooms. And um, this person was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and they said, we want you to meet him. And uh, I thank God for that today because I'm married to a wonderful husband in Alcoholics Anonymous, and if you all don't know him, it's Mike S. He's sitting right on this front row. And what a blessing that has been in my life because, not only because we have a wonderful relationship, but we had, we had started dating, and Mike had told me that he was falling in love with me. And I thought, oh, my God. He had, he had this little girl who was probably six, and my son was seven. And we had this wonderful relationship that we became friends through these children. We would take these kids, and we just do so many good things with these kids and had such a wonderful time. And I thought, you know, I've never had a relationship. I never had a father image around. And my ex-husband and I, we just fought a lot. We never sat down and had a civil conversation that I can remember about anything important. But Mike and I had started developing this friendship, relationship, and it was so wonderful. And I thought, how in the world could he mess this up? You know, it's such a good time, and we're having such a great time. And he's got to ruin it. But that was what it took for me to start working the fourth and fifth step, because I prayed about it. I, I went to church, and I asked God, you know, please give me some direction in this area. And my sponsor kept saying, work the steps, Joyce. And I'd say, Nancy, I just can't. He's, just, he's such a good person, and I don't know how to handle this relationship. She said, well, that's how a, a man is supposed to treat a woman. You've never experienced that before, so don't worry about that. I said, but he's so good. I, I just don't know how to handle this. She said, work your steps. And when he asked me to marry him, I knew I had to continue working these steps, and that pushed me to do the fourth and the fifth and to continue on. And the main reason was I didn't want to take the Joyce that I knew into another marriage. As much as I went to blame that sick alcoholic on everything that went wrong in our marriage, and that's why I failed, I knew I played a big part in that marriage failing too. I mean, if I wasn't such a fixer, if I wasn't such a this or that, maybe, you know, it would have worked. But um, I knew that that Joyce could not go into another marriage because she was going to help mess it up again. And I worked that fourth and fifth step. And what a blessing that was. Not only did it give me um, a way of cleaning out all this garbage and not just getting it out here and holding it and massaging it and looking at it, but to really turn it over to the God of my understanding. It also gave me a friendship with a sponsor that I, I never, ever had with another person in my whole life. She didn't sit there and judge me for what I had done or where I had been and who I was. She shared who she was with me at that time. And uh, part of me in the back of my mind was saying, she's going to keep this little scorecard, I know, because all those other steps are coming, and she's going to ask me what I've done to work those other steps. And you know what she never did? And since I've been in the program for a few years, 
I've had the privilege to sponsor several people, and I've heard quite a few fifth steps. And I don't know if my sponsor was like that or not, but I don't always remember what they tell me. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? These things are so important. You're sharing your insides with this other person, and they don't even remember. But, you, you know, when, when the need is there that we have to share with someone, anyway, in my life, with someone that I sponsor, she'll say, do you remember in my inventory? And I'll say, well, just bring me, you know, refresh my memory. And that's okay because I have a quick forgetter, and I'm, I'm glad of that today. My life is so good. If I could just unzip and show you my insides today. I just sometimes can't believe it. My God is such an awesome God. He can take this spot of dirt and make a silk cloth out of it. I just, I just can't put it in words what the program has done for me and my life. Um, Mike and I have, um, Mike adopted my own, my son from my previous marriage after we had been married two years and that wasn't easy because we had to jump through a lot of hoops to find an active alcoholic and to get him to sign papers and all this stuff. But here again, God was working in our lives, and he saw fit that this child had a mother and a father in his life, and all that worked out. Mike and I have had an AA Al-Anon son who has never lived in active alcoholism, and I am so grateful for that. if, If you have never known children to grow up in alcoholism and sobriety, if you have never seen the comparison, Believe me, there's a big difference. And I didn't understand that until we had Michael. And um, I used to drag our older son to meetings with me, and I'd say to my sponsor, you know, am I supposed to be doing this? She said, Joyce, you do what you have to do to get this program. It's um, not the quantity of time that you spend with your child. It's the quality. And if you're going to Al-Nami's and you're patching up those holes in you and turning those character defects into assets, you're becoming a better person, and you're able to share that with your son. And see, that's what we've done with our child. We've tried to put him in a secure home that practices AA and Al-Anon. He grew up, his aunts and uncles are not the aunts and uncles in our family. They're people in AA and Al-Anon. He calls them aunt this and uncle that, you know. He doesn't know any he knows the difference, but he knows that he has a bigger family than just our maternal family, which is wonderful. We always had a coffee pot going, people dropping in all the time, and what a blessing that is. We've taken the negative out of our lives and put positive in by working the 12 steps, and I'll forever be grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous for letting Al-Anon and a poor little person like me use those 12 steps to fix what was broken in my life. I. You know, the only way that I know to return what I've gotten is to do things like this, and believe me, this is not what I choose to do. I'd rather be down there or in the back of the room or setting up chairs or anything, but not up here. But I've been told, you know, you do what you can to give this away, and you may be the only Al-Anon book that anyone sees. And that really concerns me sometimes because when the people I sponsor are at my house, sometimes, you know, I, I'm not the perfect Al-Anon. I, I mean, I live in a world of reality. Sometimes I still lose my temper. Sometimes I don't do things perfectly. How about that? And it's okay today to be human, and that's what I am. But one of the things that I've learned is that my worst day today 
is so much better than my best day during alcoholism. I am happy, joyous, and free today, and that's because I have 12 steps of Al-Anon working in my life, and that's because I'm willing to do something. I don't come to a meeting and sit in a chair and think I'm going to get it by osmosis. It just doesn't happen for me that way. I have to get up off my butt and do something. And in the beginning, it was just setting up the chairs and washing those stinking ashtrays. I did that for so long, and I don't know why I volunteered to do it, because I guess that was service work, and I wanted to get well. And they said, you do service work, and washing ashtrays was part of doing service work. I've done a lot of things in this program and um, in my life since I've been coming to Al-Anon that I never thought that... um, I would either have the privilege to do or the opportunity. We have traveled all over the world, not just for Al-Anon, just uh, for living. We changed jobs and went to Germany for a couple of years, which wasn't exactly my cup of tea, but what an experience that was. I can remember standing under the Eiffel Tower thinking, how did this hillbilly Montgomery County girl get to the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> it was not my will. It was God's will. He has taken me places that I... In my wildest dreams, I could never think I'd be there. And he has given me a way to live, and that is through the Al-Anon program. If no one has told you today they love you, I'd like to tell you how much I love you and will be eternally grateful for these programs. God bless you.